Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, May the 8th. This is episode 897, and it's a cool show. It is the third in a series of shows from Stephen Harris, uh, guru of all things energy-related. Uh, we're going to focus mainly today on hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells, and you're going to hear things... Uh, misinformation corrected in the hydrogen world, how great it is and how not so great it is. Uh, things that, as I was conducting this interview, I was just like, really? Wow, I had no idea. Discovery Channel lied to me in the worlds of Paul Wheat. No, that's just marketing. But yet the promise is there and the ability to do it's there. And uh, Steve is going to clear that up for us. He's going to give us an update as well on uh, his, uh, his work with the uh, home production of ethanol at the end of today's show. And uh, let us know that he still has a great sale going on for you guys. And on that note, I've got a great sale going on for you guys. See, I'm actually speaking to you from the past right now. This is time travel from uh, from Arkansas. And uh, here's how this works. I am in Montana right now with Seth Holzer and Paul Wheaton. And, and because it makes me happy and because I have to pay for my dogs and cats to be boarded while I'm gone, I have a, a sale for you on MSB. Discount code is Big Sky. You get your first year for 35 bucks of the MSB. New customers, or if you've expired and you log in and renew, you can renew and use the code on the one-year thing, only 15 bucks off your first year. I uh, just wanted to throw that out at the beginning. Uh, next up, I want to go ahead and take care of our housekeeping so I can get Steve on the air here with you. Uh, housekeeping item one of us always, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor day number one, Jeff Gleason, also known as who? The Berkey Guy. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Shocking as it might be, you're going to get Berkey Light Water Filtration Systems, and that's what you would expect to get Berkey Systems from the Berkey Guy. But why buy your Berkey from the Berkey Guy? It's the Berkey Guy. Who else are you going to buy it from? Seriously, though, you can go to a gun show today. You'll always find preparedness stuff at gun shows, and there'll be a guy selling Berkeys. You go to a, a preparedness show, like a true like self-reliance expo or something, there'll be Berkeys in every other booth. Uh, you go online, type in Berkey, you find all kinds of people that sell Berkeys. So it's a great system. Everybody knows it. Uh, very well, very well received. Awesome system. So why Jeff? Why not one of the other you know four billion people that sell Berkeys? Well, he's one of the most successful resellers, so he can get you great pricing. And he's been taking care of this audience for over three years. Total number of complaints, zero. So this guy's going to take care of you. That's what it really comes down to. You're buying something you can buy from a bunch of different people. Then you want to deal with somebody who actually cares about your community, cares about you, and wants to be part of what we're doing. And Jeff's been doing that for three years now. Those of you who already have your Berkey, when you need new filters, hey, check out Jeff and, and, and work with him. And he's got some other cool preparedness supplies as well. You'll find his site at directive21.com. That's directive and the number 21.com. Next up today, silverandgoldshop.com. Silver and gold belong in your investment portfolio, even in small amounts. And I'll tell you what, the next time you're going to go see a kiddo you haven't seen for a while, like a niece or a nephew or a grandson, consider giving them an ounce of silver instead of a plastic piece of crap made in China. Explain to them how the value of silver will grow throughout their life, just like their value as a person will grow as they become more educated and, and grow up as adults and have children of their own. It's a great message to give to our kids, and it'll outlast any piece of plastic crap you'll ever give to them. I have coins, uh, specifically pre-64 silver coins, in my strong box today that were given to me by my grandfather. Now, my grandfather, my grandmother on both sides, my parents gave me all kinds of toys and stuff like that growing up. I don't have anything like that left, but I have coins that I know came from them. 
Think about that the next time you got to give a kiddo a gift. And think about it for yourself as well. Silverandgoldshop.com, run by the wonderful Mary Beth Maidmont. Uh, check them out today. Best thing you can do to visit our sponsors, of course, go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on their banners in the right-hand margin, and guess what? That way you know you're dealing with our actual sponsor instead of somebody doing brand piracy. It is out there. Next up, remember, connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I'll definitely be shooting some video uh, up in Montana. I figured out today that I'm, even though I'm in the past now, I'm not going to get my swivel freaking mount thing for my iPhone, but I'll take it up there anyway along with my other camera, and we will have some video to bring back uh, from Montana for you guys on YouTube. Uh, remember, check out tspcopper.com. We have cool stuff there. Uh, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Remember, uh, you can use discount code BIGSKY and get your first year for $35. Those paying by check, money order, mail, cash, anything like that using the form, just write it on the form. The sale is up till the 13th, and uh, we'll be good to go with that. And uh, with that, coming back to uh, TSP for his eighth appearance, Stephen Harrison, we're going to finally wrap up the uh, alternative energy segment. This is, uh, this is uh, episode three of, of just this list that we're going through. Primarily today we're going to be talking about hydrogen. And, hey, Steve, welcome back to the Survival Podcast, man. Jack, happy to be here. This was supposed to be one show, and I got stretched out to three. I don't believe it. Well, I do, because when you sent me your outline, I'm like, holy shit, this is like four or five hours worth of material. Um, but that's part of why I love you coming on the show. You bring all the great information. You bring all the stuff that nobody talks about. You bring the true story about these alternative technologies, and you do all my work for me by preparing everything in advance. So uh, you make it easy. <laughs> so, so thanks for that. Oh, I do it for the audience. I do it for the audience too. But uh, yeah, I um, th we're going to uh, we're covering everything that works and doesn't work, and what works about it and what doesn't work about it. So you know that when you see it and when you hear about it, that it's that you can you know oh yeah, this is good stuff. I can use this, or like you can turn around and run like the wind as fast as you can away from the crooks. Well, I mean, the thing that we've kind of left for last is ironically the thing that you're, you're kind of an expert in all this stuff, but like you have years of expertise in this because you worked on it at Chrysler, if I remember right, which is hydrogen fuel technology. Yeah, actually at Chrysler, I wasn't working on the hydrogen fuel technology. I was working in uh, vehicle development with all sorts of vehicle development and fuels, but uh, hydrogen was not explored by Chrysler in the 90s. It was done by it in the 80s, and they made hydrogen vehicles, and hydrogen vehicles are real simple to make. I mean, they're not complex. And uh, I, it was my consulting work that I was doing during Chrysler and then after year 2000 that I did a tremendous more work with hydrogen. And my mentor that I've been working with for since 1993 is Roy McAllister, the president of the American Hydrogen Association and the author of Solar Hydrogen Civilization and other books that I've worked with in depth on hydrogen. And in fact, hydrogen is in everything and you can get it from almost everything depending upon how it's bound. And it is one of the fuels of the future. Uh, natural gas is definitely the next fuel of the future that uh, we will and our children and our grandchildren will be using in huge abundance. But methane, methane, natural gas, is CH4, one carbon, four hydrogen. So the next thing that we're going to be using in abundance after methane is going to be hydrogen. You know, and you just made a statement, and it kind of kicks off my first question for you today. Uh, hydrogen is the most abundant thing in the universe. It's it's the simplest molecule there is. You know, one proton, one electron. Uh, okay. You know, what what's holding it back? 
I hate that so much. I hate that statement so much. It's the most <laughs> abundant element. Come on, it's on Star Trek. Know. It has to be true. Are you saying okay. no? That's just marketing yeah. like Paul Eaton? It, it's in the universe, not in the world. Okay, in the universe, <laughs> as in as in past low Earth orbit, which we have not been past low Earth orbit, and we've only been as far as the moon. Okay, most of the hydrogen is in the stars. You know, the thing that's about a billion times the size of the Earth and has a surface temperature of ten thousand degrees Fahrenheit and an internal temperature of thirty million degrees. Okay, get close to it and get some hydrogen. Okay. <laughs> The most abundant thing in the world, yeah. I mean, it's like saying uh, we have one million men and one woman, and men are the most abundant species. Okay, if you got nothing to combine with, okay, it's no good. Hydrogen is only as good as what it can combine with. So you got to have two hydrogen and one oxygen to combine with each other to release heat or get electrons or to get energy moving. So. It doesn't matter, you know, you can have a, you know, all the hydrogen in the world and you got one mouse fart of hydrogen, of oxygen. You can only combine as much hydrogen that goes with that mouse fart worth of oxygen. So saying it's the, you know, most abundant thing in the world is like, well, be, yeah. where do we end up with water then? Because isn't that exactly what water is, is H2O? Water is H2O. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like you and your wife, okay? And uh, you see a pretty woman going by and you look at her, okay? You and your wife are married. You're tightly bound, okay? You're not a free radical. You just can't go off and combine with anything else that you want. You're stuck right where you are. And hydrogen and water have an extremely tight bond to it, okay? You are not just going to willy-nilly split it. By the laws of thermodynamics, I don't give a damn what anyone else is thinking or saying. It takes by far more energy to get that hydrogen and oxygen apart than you are going to get from the resulting hydrogen that you get back. Even if you combine it with the oxygen that it came with in the first place, you are not going to get more energy out. It takes more energy to get it apart and then to use it than it than you get from the hydrogen itself. So you, it's not uh, something like, I'm going to do a little bit of work and get a big result. Okay, It's not like lighting uh, wood on fire, where you use a match, a small amount of energy, and you get a continuous exothermic combustion going uh, continually after that. And, and we'll talk about wood, because wood is actually a really good place to get hydrogen from, because Mother Nature has done all the work for you, and it's not a tightly bond, bound molecule. But that's part of the mythos. Everything they have, people think it's hydrogen's a lightsaber. It's like, oh, I got hydrogen. I have infinite power. You know, give me more power. I can power the world. I have a little bit of hydrogen. Now, hydrogen is no different than methane, propane, gasoline. I mean, it's got a BTU value with it. It's so many BTUs per cubic foot, or so many. That's the other thing. Hydrogen is sixty to eighty thousand BTUs per pound. Oh my God! You know, gasoline is about, and natural gas is around eighteen thousand five hundred BTUs per pound. So hydrogen has five, six times the energy per pound of any other fuel. Yeah, but look at it. It's fluffy, okay? It takes up a great deal of space, okay? Um, it's like trying to power your – let's say you got a car that runs on sugar, and, and trying to run it off of hydrogen is like trying to run it off of marshmallows 
because it's just it is so low in density. In fact, it's the lightest density element there is. It's element number one. So, so how do we solve that problem if it's if it's got potential to be used as a fuel? How do we how do we create it without an energy deficit? You know, because that's, impossible. You know, impossible. <laughs> it is absolutely impossible to get hydrogen without an energy deficit. Okay, it's just not floating free in the air for you to get. In fact, there's parts per trillion of hydrogen floating around in the air. Parts per trillion. Okay, or lower. You know where that comes from? That comes from when water falls on metal and the metal rusts and it goes from iron to iron oxide. It pulls the oxygen off of the water. And it releases, and it releases the hydrogen as a free radical, it, which it, it, quickly is going to bond with something, right? Yeah, well, I mean, no, it's going to go free for a little while, but the thing is then uh, either with sunlight or to combine in an upper atmosphere uh, location and it's going to rebind with oxygen and it's going to form a little bit of heat and uh, water vapor at the same time. So it will recombine with atmospheric oxygen once it reaches a certain level in the atmosphere and gets stimulated to do so. Um, but, um, you know, I talked about hydrogen. It's not a lightsaber, not mythical, magical, infinite energy. There's no free hydrogen in the world. Um, I have a book and a video, The Chemistry and Manufacture of Hydrogen, fabulous book. It covers, covers hydrogen, like I just said, from rusting iron. And, and that's actually the way hydrogen is made in industry. The petrochemical industry uses rusting iron to make hydrogen. They take a big tower full of steel balls. And by a big tower, I mean a 100-foot tower. And I mean steel balls the size of your fist. And they heat it up with natural gas. So they blow up a bunch of natural gas and they get everything nice and red and hot. And then they make a bunch of steam, high-temperature steam, and they blow the steam up on the hot red natural gas balls. Steam plus iron forms hydrogen and rust, okay? So the, the balls get rusty on the surface, and you get a bunch of hydrogen out. Now, this is an endothermic reaction, meaning it takes energy to happen. You're not taking steam and mixing it with hot iron, and you're not creating a 100-foot lightsaber glowing. It's not releasing more energy. It takes energy, like I said, to break that molecular bond, even when you're using 1,000-degree steam and 1,600-degree Fahrenheit uh, iron balls, it, it cools the iron and the steam down, making the hydrogen. So you, you, if they cool down below their working temperature, you, you, got all your, you got your hydrogen, and then what you do is you turn on the natural gas again, only you turn it on without enough air, so you get a reducing flame, and what that is, is it's making carbon monoxide. Instead of making burning natural gas, in perfectly perfect world, you burn natural gas, you make carbon dioxide and hydrogen. Everything burning in this world goes to carbon dioxide, sorry, and water, I, I misspoke. Uh, burning natural gas goes to carbon dioxide and water vapor. Everything burning, you, you pour gasoline on yourself and you light yourself, you're <laughs> turning it into carbon dioxide and water vapor, okay? That's a perfect combustion. So when you starve the flow of, of uh, natural gas going into the tower of air, you're producing carbon monoxide. And carbon monoxide, when it's hot, is a reducing agent, and it converts the rust back into the foundation of the entire Pittsburgh area, steel. It converts it right back into iron. 
Okay. So the, they then you know convert the rust back. Then they turn on the natural gas full blast again with enough air. They heat it up, blow more steam up to it, and this is called an, an iron cycle or an iron oxide cycle. And it's a repeatable cycle that you can do at high temperature. You can do it in solar, too. This is one of the foundations of the way we will make hydrogen with real solar energy. And I don't mean worthless PV panels. You know all, all of you know how much I hate photovoltaic panels. But if you do this in a concentrated solar dish at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, this is your reproducible, reusable cycle uh, that you can use over and over and over with solar energy that will make the hydrogen that will fuel the world in the future. And you can do this in Africa. You can do this in the United States. It's just a little hard to do it in Alaska. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, but this is one of the ways that, I mean... Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, all this crap that I heard about hydrogen, I'm, I, I'm going, if I have to burn gas to make hydrogen and I burn more gas than I get hydrogen, why the hell am I going to do that? That's right. You're not, you're not going to. You're not going to. And, and right now, when the space shuttle... <laughs> okay, long live the space shuttle. The space shuttle's dead. It's been killed, and, and Obama killed the successor coming off of it, so we have no space program to look up to now. But yeah, that's, space, that's but, a sore note with me. I mean, I think the space shuttle was ready to retire, but killing Constellation just... I don't want to sidetrack, yeah. but it really pisses me off. Okay, so when the space shuttle went up, it went up on two solid rocket boosters, that big external tank full of hydrogen and oxygen, okay? That hydrogen was made by, I believe it was made by Prax Air or Air, or Air Liquid in St. Louis. And it was made by the uh, steam, what's called the steam reformation of natural gas. And again, you're mixing steam with natural gas to form hydrogen and carbon dioxide and you separate the carbon dioxide out you sell it to the soda pop industry which is a heck of a business and then they compress recompress and cool and chill and liquefy the hydrogen until it's a liquid and they put it into a big transport on a barge and it goes down to mississippi out in the gulf of mexico and around florida to cape kennedy so when the hydrogen when the um, space shuttle took off and its engines were running on hydrogen and oxygen the hydrogen actually came from uh u.s natural gas that's where it came from and it, it's an easy way of getting hydrogen but again, you're using more energy to get the energy. You're just better off using the natural gas in the first place. And anyway, unless I'm building a spaceship, to, and then I need the hydrogen. Right, right, exactly. And let me get back to what I was talking about: the making hydrogen from rust. Okay, I said the book's called The Chemistry and Manufacture of Hydrogen. It was written in 1919 by a man called P. Litherin Teed. Okay, this is World War I technology. And actually, we were making hydrogen in the Civil War for observation balloons. Okay, so this is even pre-World War I technology that I'm talking about. Uh, this is not rocket science here. Okay, the, we've been making hydrogen for years in, with these chemical cycles that are, you know, not it's not economical to buy iron and turn it into rust and throw away the rust and keep the hydrogen. But it is economical to do it with certain technologies such as solar heat or any high-temperature waste heat source to make a, a source of hydrogen. And this is covered in, uh, in that book, and we actually made a DVD on it. 
Um, but if you go to the, let's say you, you're going to the store, you want to buy a cylinder of hydrogen, okay? And it's, again, it's a cylinder of hydrogen, and it's really fluffy stuff. It's about 200 to 300 cubic feet in one cylinder, and the cylinder could cost you between 50 and $200 per gallon of gas equivalent. Yes, yeah, right. I said a cylinder of hydrogen from the welding store is like buying gasoline at 50 to $200 uh, a gallon of gas equivalent. In fact, if you got a 300 cubic foot uh, cylinder of hydrogen, it's about five feet tall, it's got the same amount of energy in it as three quarters, three fourths of a gallon of gasoline. So it's not a super infinite amount of energy. Um, it, it's got great energy densities. It's got great con combustion characteristics, which we'll get into. But uh, it's not Mr. Fusion on the back of your DeLorean and Back to the Future that is just going to you know, put a little bit in and it's going to run you forever. Guy, oh, yeah, I didn't realize you were, you were finished there. So, okay, cool. And uh, so it's, it's not the end-all, be-all, but... Where does it take us? Why do you say, you know, if it's got all this baggage, let's call it, then 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 is it when we start concentrating solar heat that it becomes viable? Is there is there another uh, way that this becomes viable? Is there a way that we have a process that it becomes a byproduct of and we're taking energy somewhere else? So we're getting two sources of energy out or something like that? Well, hydrogen has an advantage that it burns very quickly, okay? Uh, it burns about 30,000 feet per second. Gasoline is going to burn someplace five, six, seven thousand 7,000 feet per second. So its flame speed is very quickly. I mean, if you put a line of hydrogen across a room, mythically in the air, and you lit it, it go right on down it. And if you did the same thing with gasoline vapor, <coughs> you know, it would go across the room about six, one-sixth the speed. And this matters in your in your piston, uh, in, in the cylinder of your car, because when you ignite the hydrogen, it kind of goes, instead of where the, the gasoline goes, boom, the hydrogen goes, boom, and you release more energy quicker. So you can have the timing of the car more towards top dead center. Right now, gasoline is like 15 degrees, 10 degrees before top dead center. So the piston is coming up, compressing the gasoline. It's still coming up, and the spark plug goes off. And so you got this combustion working, doing back work against the piston as the piston is coming up towards top dead center. Then it goes over top dead center. Most of the combustion happens and pushes it down. Hydrogen is kind of like, you know, playing whack-a-mole, okay? As the second the, the mole pops its head up, you whack it real quick. So you wait for the cylinder to get towards right at the top dead center where there's no back work, and you ignite the hydrogen, and it goes, foop, and it pushes the, the, uh, the, the cylinder back down with no back work. So it gets a little bit of efficiency from that. See, and the other thing that has completely destroyed hydrogen, I mean, and completely destroyed solar and, and most of the other things, especially wind energy, is the worthless, good-for-nothing environmentalist movement has grabbed hold of it as their holy grail and sung its praises to the point where they have just absolutely you know, uh, contaminated. I, I say, you know, they it's say like setting unreasonable expectations because you know, I'm the last person to be sucked into that world, but I'm learning things from you today about hydrogen's limitations that I've never heard anywhere before. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, the environmentalists, the worthless, good for nothing, human hating 
uh, man-killing environmentalists. They only <laughs> ad- they only advocate things that can't be done. And this has been proven throughout history. They're like, oh, geothermal's great. Geothermal's wonderful. We need to have geothermal. And they try to implement geothermal in Alaska and Hawaii. Oh, you can't do that. You're destroying the, you know, you're putting a hole in the ground. And a groundhog used to live there. And this yeah, is yeah. I know you're not wild about photovoltaics, but California tried to put a whole bunch of uh, solar into a solar farm out in the middle of the desert, and the environmentalists said that you would alter the environment of the frickin' desert. And Schwarzenegger, not my favorite guy, but to his credit, said, if I can't put solar panels in the middle of the desert, where the hell do you want me to put them? Exactly, exactly. And the same thing has now happened with wind energy. They said, oh, wind energy, we got to have it, so all the wind towers are going up. And it's like, oh, no, you can't put them up. It kills birds. It kills. It makes noise. It, it kills my view and everything. So they only advocate things that can't be done. And once it can be done, then they, then then they protest them. This is how they. Hey, keep hey Steve, you know what else kills birds? What buildings with windows? Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. I used to have this big office building I worked in, and every day three or four thump. So I'm thinking that you know maybe the bird issue is not as big as they want to make it out to be. Oh, you know what kills birds? Uh, other birds. Other and birds. See, what else kills birds? Shotguns. shotguns. Shotguns kill birds. I was there with you. Shotguns, uh, especially so, guns. Yeah, they I mean, fight it's, it's, all the pellets. Well, that's what everyone does. They say, let's have a hydrogen fuel cell bus. And, and everyone's going to want hydrogen because they're riding on a magical hydrogen fuel cell bus. In reality, no one is on a damn bus because they want to be there. They're there because they have to be there because they don't have a car. I mean, it's, 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 it's not, this is not the height of marketing. You don't take a technology and demonstrate it to a bunch of people who can't afford it. I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the only reason they're putting it in a bus is because they can't put it into a car because it's got to it's be too big. And, but, you know, I had a sales mentor one time, Steve, that taught me there were two reasons that you never demonstrate or try to sell a product to somebody who can't afford it. The obvious one is because they can't afford it and not going to buy it and you're not going to make any money. But two was you're being mean because you're saying, look how great this is, but you can't have, have it. it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just, I mean, that's what the environmentalist movement does. And they, they want to show, oh, we're so good, we can do this. I can take $5 billion, you know, that was going to an aircraft carrier and I can make one hydrogen fuel cell bus. And I, you know, I can, for this $5 billion bus, I can drive it around and everyone's going to want hydrogen and we're all going to sing hands and just say, we are the world and blah, blah, blah. No, it does not work that way, people. I mean, you, hydrogen has all, and natural gas too, okay? But even, especially hydrogen, it's got all the potential in the world to be a dollar per gallon of gas fuel, okay? Even adjusted for inflation. It's got the potential of doing a dollar gallon of gas equivalent fuel because it is everywhere from Mother Nature. It's in uh, it's it's in you and me. You and me are made up of hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, uh, nitrogen, uh, some sulfur. I mean, we're all made up of basic or- organic compounds. And you know, I can, you know, Jack, you know, I can, if you want to have a green funeral, I can turn your body into hydrogen someday when you pass away. But, no, man, I'm getting made into ammunition so people can shoot me off. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a, I love it. I love it. No, we can do that, okay? Technically, yeah. we can do this because we can uh, take all the water and blood out of your body and we're left, left with cellulose, okay? And with that cell, your cellulose, we can then nitrate it with uh, nitric acid and to get the water out with sulfuric acid. That's called the nitration process, and that's cellulose nitrate. What's cellulose nitrate? 
it's gunpowder, not black powder. It's it's actual the powder that goes in the bullet. So we can literally jack you. Know, you oh, there's a company that does it. I was I was being serious. There's a company that will make you into ammo when you're dead, and you can have a root and shoot and toot and celebration funeral instead of a sad one. Oh God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you ask. You make a joke to a chemist. We turn it serious and find out someone else has already made the business. They do it easy though. You, they prefer that your your family have you cremated and you send the ashes in and they blend the ashes into the powder and or into the the lead or what have you. And, and they, I mean, it's it's legitimate ammo made with your ashes. Okay, okay. Because yeah. a- ashes, actually, your human ashes, are actually your ground up bones. It's not your ashes, but. Uh, I like my I like my way better. Sorry, Jack, yeah. you're going into a vat of nitric acid. <laughs> um, so, but, I mean, what I hear you saying overall with hydrogen is it's a great technology. It has tremendous potential. Uh, it is a future fuel. We're just not there yet. Oh, no, no, we've been there since 1919. We've been there since before 1919. Okay, we, we could have been running the Model Ts on hydrogen. We could have been running it on bottled hydrogen. The first engines in the world, the very first internal combustion engine, ran on hydrogen because there was no gasoline. It ran on what was called town gas, okay? And, and town gas, what town gas is, I'm, I'm, this is perfect because I'm getting ready to cover getting it from cellulose. Town gas, you take a bunch of coal or a bunch of wood, and you you heat it up and you uh, pass air through it and you do what I did in the last go back and listen to the, the episode six or seven where I talk about partial oxidation oxidation and gasifiers and the GEC all power labs the GEC gasifier from all power labs and you make carbon monoxide and hydrogen and you pipe this through the pipes this is what was ran everyone's stoves in the late 1800s. Early in late 1800s and early 19 and mid 1900s was town gas, and you make it from coal and steam, or coal and air, or wood and air, or garbage, any combination thereof. Because when it comes to that high temperature chemistry, we're all the same. And it's piped to. Uh, this is what they use for light, lighting mantles, street illumination. And then it was used for ovens. Uh, and then you know, remember someone used to say, oh, "Go go put your head in the oven and kill yourself." Well, that's kind of hard to do on natural gas, but it, it came from a time when, when people would commit suicide by putting their head in their oven because carbon monoxide and hydrogen are coming out of it, and they get poisoned by the carbon monoxide. So if, you're go- if you made the world's first internal combustion engine, what are you going to run it off of? You're going to run off it off of this explosive gas that's in the pipes that's coming to your, your house or your lab. So the first engines in the world ran off of hydrogen. And uh, Henry Ford wanted Model T to run off of alcohol because it's so great to uh, make alcohol, of which I'll tell you about at the end. I got the, great, the greatest stuff in the world for making alcohol. But uh, no, so they ran off of hydrogen, and they could have continued to run off of hydrogen. We could have done it with World War I technology. It's just that what at the time was more convenient and easy was we came out with gasoline, and then you had the petrochemical industry. I mean, we, we literally went from running your lamps off of whale oil, then off, off of kerosene, and then you have all these byproducts left over from making kerosene, which are light and, you know, they're, they're really flammable, which you can't use in a kerosene lamp because the whole thing would catch on fire. Um, and th- these are benzenes and toluenes, and these are the components that make up gasoline, and it was found that this would work pretty good, you know, in these new motors that were coming out. 
And then you can get into the conspiracy stuff and the oil stuff. But, you know, I, I love what we said on the last show. There's, you know, never attribute to conspiracy what you can attribute to stupidity. Um, so, and you know, then you had this really convenient form of liquid fuel that didn't have to have any pressurization. It had a really good density to it. And you could just pour a liquid gallon of it into a car and you could go off. And, you know, we, 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 we as humans, we stick with what is convenient. So it just kind of, we, we arched over what we could have done. And now that we've become more technology advanced, we got carbon fiber fuel bottles instead of steel cylinders for holding hydrogen or even aluminum ones. So, you know, we can now compress it quicker, compress it easier. We can store more of it. You know, we could only store two or 3,000 PSI in 1919. Now we can store 10,000 PSI easily. Um, so it's it, it's coming around, and like I said, we keep on going through this cycle where we keep on getting rid of our carbon molecules in our energy cycle. We started with coal or wood, and then we went to coal, then we went to heavy oil, then we went to refined petroleums, and then we went to the light gases, propane and natural gas and butane. And what we did is we kept on lowering the amount of carbon and increasing the number of hydrogens that were in our fuel to the point where we're at our fuel of our future, methane, which is one carbon and four hydrogens. It's going to be just a matter of time before we're just working with the four hydrogens instead of the one carbon. And we're working with a fuel that has some really great efficiencies and abundance uh, characteristics to it. If we just chicken or the egg situation, you know, do you get the hydrogen fuel pumps or do you get the hydrogen cars first? Which one comes first, Jack? Well, I guess you need the fuel pumps because if you don't have fuel, you can't do anything with the car. That's correct. That's what we need. And that I mean, so that's kind of the same thing screwing with natural gas, like, if it was really easy to just fuel up anywhere you could, people would be doing it now and buying cars that run it now because it's so damn cheap. In many parts of the world, that is true. Pakistan is abundant in natural gas, and they, they actually converted diesel engines, put spark plugs in them to run them up for natural gas because diesel was $4 a gallon equivalent and natural gas was $0.50 cents a gallon equivalent. So they switched over to uh, natural gas. Brazil is very popular with natural natural gas. Well, aren't they doing kind of a hi hybrid thing where, like, they have cars that will run on either ethanol or natural gas, and they have, you know, the natural gas tank in the uh, – or they're running some vehicles on ethanol because talked, they have, like, I, sugar I, cane out the huh, butt down there. I talked about that in the last show. They have cars that will run off of any combination of gasoline, alcohol, and natural gas simultaneously, independently, at the same time. I mean, you can start off of natural gas, drive half the day on natural gas, switch over to alcohol and gasoline, any combination thereof. And uh, Fiat is one of the biggest manufacturers. Uh, of that vehicle in Brazil, so it's being done around the world in different areas. It's, we we gotta we gotta get all of the idiot politicians that we have out, get the smart people in that don't have agendas and preclusions to everything, and wipe out a whole bunch of dumb laws and let you know free market and mother nature take over and you know let us establish certain things that we can right now because. Technically, it's illegal for you to modify your vehicle to run on natural gas because of certain EPA emission requirements, and especially California, CARBS, California Air Resource Board, has to certify vehicles that run off of um, natural gas. I mean, a lot of people convert and run off of natural gas anyway, so they just disable it before they go do their emissions test, which doesn't matter. They just don't want the technician to see it because its emissions are cleaner. I mean, 
the stuff. War- <laughs> well, that's the point, isn't it? That, it? that if you just burn gas or you burn gasoline, you get cleaner burning from from natural gas. And of of course you would because it's just a cleaner fuel. All right. I mean, hydrogen. Okay. Well, natural gasoline. Okay. It's a bunch of carbons and it's a bunch of hydrogens bound together in long chain molecules. And it, it literally there's a hundred different chemicals in, in gasoline. Okay. So they all burn different. But I'm telling you, it's it's carbons and hydrogens, and it gets burned into carbon dioxide and water vapors. Now, if you take a single element like hydrogen and you burn it, see, so it, hydrogen combines with oxygen and it makes water. Okay, if you have a bunch of chemicals, they can split and crack and burn incompletely and form a whole bunch of different things, right? Sure. Okay, now if you have one element only, hydrogen, and it, it combines with the only element that's available to it in, in the air is oxygen, what do you get? Water. You get water. Can you get anything else, really? Not really. No, I no. mean, there's sure there's some weird way that somebody could shove hydrogen into something else, but not in nature. Oh, there's a lot of people I'd love to shove hydrogen into, believe me. <laughs> um, but no, you, you got hydrogen, it's going to water vapor. That's the only thing. And you know what another really great fuel is? Is carbon monoxide, CO, okay? Because I talk about partial oxidation makes carbon monoxide and hydrogen all the time. And we know carbon monoxide is the stuff that kills us when the furnace goes bad and everything. Carbon monoxide is an absolutely fabulous fuel because carbon monoxide can only go to, to, anyone, anyone, to, something. Carbon and oxygen, one each, right? Right. Carbon monoxide and, and oxygen can only go to carbon dioxide. It can't form anything else. So carbon monoxide is a really good fuel because it can only form carbon dioxide. But it produces is, CO2 and it'll kill us because we're all going to melt and the polar bears are going to die. Uh, no. No. I, I don't <laughs> that has that has been, that has been uh, thank, thankfully there's many, many scientists that have completely proven and shown that carbon, man is not warming the planet. There's this thing about 93 million miles out there that's many times bigger than the planet by a factor of a billion, and it causes all of our weather, all of our, everything on the planet, you know, all of our life is due to it. It's called the sun, okay? The sun's output is up a bit, and so things are a little warmer. It, it is not because of us. We've detonated, I think, 550 atom bombs in the atmosphere, and, you know, we haven't done a thing to the planet. I mean, and, and when you look at the time scale of the planet going back five billion, you know, five billion years or even millions of years, and the planet not only laughs at the pyramids, which we turn to dust, it laughs at anything we do because there's nothing that we do that it can't get undone in, you know, any short blink well, of the eye. I, I think that, time. you know, it, it's important that, you know, when we're talking about stuff like this, we do say that, like, yeah, dumping your garbage in the middle of the forest, not a good thing. Dumping sulfuric acid on the ground, pollution. Coal, we can use it, but when, when it's mined improperly and we dump sulfur oxide into the groundwater, bad stuff. So it's, it's, it's not the, I think, you know, I'm speaking for you here, but I don't think it's that either one of us hate environmentalism. We hate modern bullshit environmentalism that ignores real pollution and causes plant, calls plant food poison. Yeah, and what you and I grew up was it was called conservation. Correct. Correct. Exactly. It was a DNR. It was Department of Natural Resources, and you were a conservationist. You were you were looking at preserving, you know, what was there, and in, in, in actually making it grow bigger. I mean, a forestry expert, you know, helps the forest become richer and bigger 
by making the forest grow, not by, you know, stopping us from doing our stuff. And, you know, we all want that. And, and actually the world is lusher and greener. I mean, carbon dioxide, everything that you touch in this world that is not a metal or a mineral, okay? So every piece of wood you touch, every piece of you, your body that you touch, okay? Every piece of leather that you touch, okay? It is, it, its structure comes from carbon okay and that came from something that grew either a plant grew or then a cow ate it okay and then that you ate the cow and that got turned into you there's only one place that carbon comes from that comes from carbon dioxide from photosynthesis from carbon dioxide in the air everything in this world that has carbon in it that carbon came from only one place carbon dioxide in the atmosphere when you put more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere you are putting in the fundamental building block of life into a greater abundance into the entire plant animal food cycle. And we are in, it's proven we are in a more animal and plant rich world today than our grandparents were because we have an increase in carbon dioxide. Anyways, I didn't want to go off on carbon dioxide. Uh, I understand. And I try not to either. And then there's the whole saturation limit and everything else. But I'll mention one thing on carbon. Okay. You mentioned coal. Okay. We are not going to be burning coal much longer, okay? We're looking at decades in the future where we'll be into hydrogen fusion energy and more advanced stuff. I mean, literally, the world will be running on antimatter energy. Antimatter is not just Star Trek. Antimatter energy is real. The first antimatter is anti-hydrogen. The second antimatter is anti-helium. And we just go right down to periodic table. But, uh, I mean, that's all going to happen. You can't stop it. it. It will happen no matter, without any, you know, it's like we went from CRT monitors to flat panel displays. Was there people walking around saying, CRT monitors have lead, banned CRT monitors, we got to have flat panel displays? No, it was a natural evolution of man and invention. It's like, oh, here's a better product, a flat monitor. It, looks it, it works better, it's lighter. When you get the, the scale of economy up, it costs less. Yep. Yep, it yep. performs better. It has less waste. It's easier to recycle. So, so that, you don't have to force that. If it's true, people will buy it. I I have a flat screen computer monitor. I imagine you do. I imagine you don't have one of those big tube things. No, I used to until last week. But anyways, <laughs> uh, anyways, my my point is we are going to go through all this energy invention, and and there's another whole field of invention, and that's you mentioned coal. We are going to take coal, which is carbon, and we're going to turn it into carbon fibers. And we're going to take natural gas, we're going to take oil, we're going to take coal, we're going to take garbage, we're going to take trees, we're going to take dead bunnies run over on the road, and we are going to turn them into carbon fiber. And our children and grandchildren will live in a world made out of carbon fiber the same way you and I live in a world made of steel and concrete today. Okay, and that's one of the miracles of coal. It's an infinite resource for us that it's going to get turned into buildings, skyscrapers, electrical wire. Carbon fiber can conduct electricity and it cannot conduct electricity. So it can be the insulation and it can be the the conductor. Our car bodies uh, will be made of carbon fiber. Our chairs, our television screen uh, bodies, our furniture, and it will look like wood. I mean, it's a miracle what you can do with. Okay, and that's enough about coal, but that's a look forward in the future and what I promised you. What I really got to get back and tell you about is something that doesn't work in the world of hydrogen. And there's so many scam artists out there. 
and they've drunk their own Kool-Aid and, and they believe this. And that is the under hood hydrogen electrolyzer. You know, you put this bottle underneath your hood jack, you pour water into it, you hook it up to your yeah. alternator, and it makes hydrogen gas that goes into your car and, and it gives you better fuel economy. Okay, it's complete bull, bullshit, bullcrap, okay? Complete bullcrap. It is one hundred. You can say bullshit on my show, man. I know. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm still still trying not to, but it's complete bullshit. And then it's like they can't explain. It. So let's put this name on it. Instead of it being H two, you know, hydrogen or H two O water, let's reform the words and call H H O or H O H or O O H. And now that we put this name on it, now that we've called the magic beans, Jack's magic beans. They now take on mystical powers. They cure cancer. They solve the energy crisis. You know, they'll make you run further, jump quicker, everything. You know, when you put a name on something, it now takes on mystical prop, prop, uh, promotions. And, prop, prop. and then we have what I call the, the HHO placebo effect. So you buy your HHO kit and instructions, and it says – do all this stuff, and if you'll also do these different techniques with your driving, uh, like, yeah. you know, right, then you'll get even better miles. So the guy does it, and he, like, starts, like, taking slower acceleration and braking and, and, and doing a little more coasting and driving what, you know, like there's people called hypermilers yeah, that, yeah. Yep. that do this with no modification and get 80 miles to, to the gallon because they are in my damn way and won't get out of the way doing, like, 40 miles an hour on the highway. And they do this, and they say, "Look, my fuel efficiency went up because of the HHO." That's right. Well, no, it went up because you got you you stopped putting your foot down like a brick. Okay, in fact, I documented this very really clearly in a newsletter I wrote. It was called Dirty Energy News, and it was issue number three. I'll put a link on it at www.solar1234.com, but it'll be a link to dirtyenergynews.com. It's letter number three, and I, I talk about it, this in detail of why it doesn't work and why they see results. So the short story is you take this box and you take these stainless steel electrical plates or stainless steel electrodes, whether you make them, people buy wall outlet plates and they make them out of them and they hook up their battery and they get all these bubbles and they go, oh, I'm making stuff. <clears throat> what they've made is a very horribly inefficient electrolyzer. I mean, horribly, horribly, horribly inefficient. So what what happens to all the inefficiency? It gets turned into, into anyone, anyone. It gets turned into heat. So they heat the water up. What happens when you get water above 212 degrees Fahrenheit? Boils. Well, it boils. Well, one, your underhood compartment of your engine is generally at least the temperature of the temperature coming off the radiator, which is over 200 degrees. So that's enough to heat it up. Your engine is well over 300 degrees uh, just from the running operation temperatures. So, and you're talking about exhaust heat, it might be near the manifold. So you're talking about a lot of heat to boil the water, plus all this electricity you're dumping in there that you think is giving you something that's not. It's making heat, so you're making steam. And you see these videos on YouTube, this like this gas coming out. of This, this is HHO, man, I'm going to power the planet, I'm going to run my car for nothing. It's steam, you idiot. You know, put, put a mirror in front of it and watch it condense. It's steam. Hydrogen does not condense. Oxygen does not condense. HHO, which doesn't exist, doesn't condense because it doesn't exist. So it, it, it's steam, okay? And so now you're, you, got, you just made a steam injector. So, you, you know, your, your piston is coming down on the intake cycle, and it's sucking in fuel, and it's sucking in air, and now it's sucking in a whole slug of steam. And remember... 
it has to run in a fuel to air ratio and get this little thing called an O2 sensor that's going, oh, I got too much oxygen. No, I don't have enough oxygen. And what it does is it adjusts the fuel. So when you throw in too much steam and you have fuel and air and what was supposed to be the right ratio and you try to ignite it, you end up with a surplus of fuel being in the system because it's been un burnt because all the steam got in the way and the car goes oh i'm running rich i'm running rich and so what does the car do the car leans the fuel out it leans the fuel out it decreases your fuel for you so what you're doing by you got a, a cylinder that is size let's say your cylinder is uh one liter okay for some reason you got an eight liter engine so your cylinder is one liter and you're sucking in a, a liter full of air and fuel's being sprayed into it. Now you're sucking in a half a liter of steam. What did you do? You just reduced the size of your cylinder. You took your Dodge Viper engine, you made it the size of a Geo Metro. So basically what you've done is you've, and you, when you bought your car, yep. you wanted horsepower. Yep. So you bought the 190 horsepower V6. Yep. And then you put this thing on it and you turned it into the 120 horsepower four cylinder that you didn't want. And yep. now you say you get better fuel efficiency, which you could have done by buying the four-cylinder. Which, you remember the last show I told you about your fuel economy is all in your foot? Correct. It's in how fast you accelerate, how fast you drive. If you put a block of wood underneath your accelerator, <laughs> I, I'm literally, you put a piece of block of wood so you can only drive 60, 65 miles an hour down the highway on, on, on a flat road, okay? And you do that, you'll see your fuel economy go up because you can no longer go from zero to sixty in in in, in six seconds. You got to go zero to sixty in sixteen seconds. Safety and, disclaimer: Don't actually do it because you might need to get away out out of the way of the 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 the, the coal truck bowing down on you. So this is for informational purposes only. Um, now I've had I've had people do it. I mean I had I, there was this one idiot at Chrysler and he was I mean I say you know they say hydrogen is pollution free I say no hydrogen is the most polluting fuel in the world because it causes mind pollution. Mind I mean, pollution. It, it, it really just gets in your mind and corrupts you. Is there any way people can you know utilize hydrogen at home? Is it is it worth the the self production you know thing? Yeah, in, in a certain extent, and, and I'll, I'll cover that. I, it, it covers, go back to my previous show, listen to the GEC gasifier from Jim Mason at All Power Labs, A-L-L-P-O-W-E-R-L-A-B-S.com. I'll have a link at www.solar1234. He's the only man and company in the world that has, and he does it nonprofit, that has a production gasifier that is worth a, a darn they actually run the thing when they, they have classes like three times a year and they put their gasifier on a generator that they sell as a pallet no one else in the world does and they set it out there and they put a 24-hour video camera on it for 72 hours and they let it run continually while someone feeds the thing fuel all night and it runs, it runs and it runs and it runs and it runs and so yeah if you have an abundance of wood and a bunch of, of vegetable material bushes um mostly woody products available to you, it would be economical for you to get a um, a gasifier and then to turn this into a gas and either use that to make electricity to then power your house, especially if you're off-grid. And three shows ago, I did something on all the economics of solar and solar compared to uh, wind, solar compared to uh, gasifiers, and the gasifiers beat the hell out of it. 
but you can also then have your your gen- your generator power electric compressor, and the compressor can then compress this gas and put it into 3,000 or 5,000 psi tanks that can go onto your car, and you can then drive on it. Jack, I don't do this. Okay. <laughs> If you don't do it, I'm probably not going to do it either. Okay, I'm I'm an expert in the field. I can do it. Okay, uh, I don't have the time to do it because my time is better spent on things that have more of an immediate application, like alcohol to people. Uh, you're not doing it because your time is best dictated to what we're doing. There are other people out there who have an abundance of time and an abundance of wood, and this would give them an advantage. But the the power pallet in itself is seventeen thousand dollars all assembled shipped to you with a generator you put the wood in it and turn it on and literally it runs but so you got to be able to amortize off that cost of that seventeen thousand dollars sounds expensive but if you compare it to solar photovoltaic it is i mean six times cheaper so yeah there is you know, for certain people at a certain place at a certain time who want to do this, you can do this. You can run your car. You can run your house. But, again, you've got to have that wood material available to you because uh, wood is – let me get pulled right on my notes. You know, wood is cellulose. Cellulose is C6H10O5. Uh, it's got six carbons joined with ten hydrogens and five oxygens in it. And Mother Nature took the carbon dioxide from the air. It took the water from the ground. So it took C and O from the air, and it took H and H2H or H2 and O from the water, and it made C6H10O5, cellulose. And so that's not really tightly bound. How do you know this? Because you can get a match, you can light it. And when it burns, you are actually breaking down that, that bond, and you're releasing the energy. And the carbon, the carbon is turning into carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. The hydrogen is cur- turning in, into water, and so it's a it's not like water. You can't take light water and light it with a match and it will burn. That's a tightly bound molecule. Cellulose is a weakly bound molecule. So it's easy for us to use simple chemistry to get these gases out of our cellulose and to reutilize it however we we so desire. And, again, I talk about that in previous shows, and you can email me with any questions. Um, But uh, as I was saying, that works. Mother Nature has done all the hard work for you right there. So what you're really – that's really stored sunshine. Burning wood is really the burning of of stored sunshine. And one of the interesting little things about uh, a flame, if you've got a candle burning jack, you can actually take a glass tube and you can put it into the middle part of the flame. And it will pull the hydrogen out. The hydrogen will come out of the glass tube. You could theoretically collect it. I mean, it's a mouse fart, but you could theoretically collect it. (laughs) But you you can actually ignite. uh, You can probably find some videos of this. You can ignite the uh, hydrogen coming off the glass tube, and you'll have this little blue flame of hydrogen burning off the glass tube next to the yellow flame of the uh, candle burning. So, I mean, it's just a tremendous world of chemistry. Uh, I've talked about this before. You really want a fun field to go into when you're young, you're going to college. Go into chemistry, especially go into organic chemistry. It just will open up an incredible world for you. Oh, um, what's our time limit? we got fuel cells to talk about, Jack. Yeah, hold on. I got. So we, we've been working through this monster list. I feel like I've had, like in the Matrix where they 
plug the thing into your head and then they just like download information. Like these three episodes is, is, is just brought all of this stuff together. And the last thing on your list is fuel cells. So uh, is, is that the stuff we're going to plug into the DeLorean and travel through time? Is oh, let's where, all, where are we at with fuel, fuel cell technology? Let's all join hands and sing, we are the world, we are the children. Fuel cells, boy, I mean, we were supposed to have them in our house by 2010, and it's already 2012. I remember fuel cells in 1990, you know, in 1996, 1997. Oh, we're going to have them in our house by year 2000 and 2001. <laughs> okay. Fuel cells, what they do is they, uh, they generally, in the simplest terms, they take hydrogen in on one side, oxygen or air on the other side, and they produce electricity. Okay, And people think that they're these magical little black boxes. You shove hydrogen in and you shove oxygen in and you plug, it, you plug up to your house and you get pure electricity. Uh, well, fuel cells are like batteries. They make DC voltage. What do you got to do with DC voltage? You got to convert it to AC voltage for your house let alone you have to convert the sinusoidal AC instead of square wave AC if you want to do it really right. So you've got to have a true sine wave inverter. Now, fuel cells are not 100% efficient. In fact, really good fuel cells are about 40% efficient. So, Jack, if you have a 40% efficient fuel cell, what's that other 60% getting turned into? I have no idea, but it's waste as far as I'm concerned. Heat. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, if it doesn't, if if you got electricity and you're spinning a motor and the motor is 85% efficient, the other 15% is getting turned into heat. Okay, gotcha. every, everything in this world gets turned into heat. You take a ball and you throw it across the room, it hits the floor, bounces against the wall. Okay, that energy transfer of energy gets turned into heat when it hits something, okay? And it, it eventually stops bouncing because it's turned all of its kinetic energy into thermal energy and now not moving anymore. Uh, we drop a rock into a bucket full of water, it raises the temperature of water because the rock hit the water and it falling energy turned into heat. So everything, all your waste energy turned into heat. And so in an internal combustion engine, you got your waste energy goes out the tailpipe in the form of exhaust, and the other half goes into the cooling system, which goes into your radiator. Well, Fuel cells don't have an exhaust system to get rid of half their energy. All of their energy goes into heat, and it goes into very low-quality heat. Like, you can't get a PEM fuel cell above 180 degrees Fahrenheit. So you have all this waste 180-degree temperature you have to get rid of, and that's why if you had a fuel cell, if you had a Geo Metro with a fuel cell in it, you'd need a radiator that went in a Dodge Ram in the front of the darn thing, to get rid of all the heat because it's a really low-grade heat that you have to get rid of. So fuel cells aren't all that magical type of thing that you would think of that they would be for, like, homes and businesses and everything else. Uh, there's this company called Bloombox, B-L-L-O-O-M, and the guy's a little wacko, but he's made a great uh, fuel cell, and he's suckered a lot of people into buying it, like Walmart, other places. And what it does is it converts natural gas. It's called a solid oxide fuel cell. And it runs near a thousand degrees. So what it does is it brings in air and it brings in natural gas. It cracks the natural gas into uh, carbon monoxide and hydrogen. And then it oxidizes the carbon monoxide and hydrogen across the membrane, which gives you free electrons to make electricity. So he's actually selling these boxes that are, have a lower efficiency than if you did it with a cat engine. 
it'd be more efficient for you to use a Caterpillar engine generator to run your Walmart off of than it would be the Bloombox fuel cell. And, and, and he's selling these things for 20 times the price of a cat, of a cat engine generator. But the thing is, they're supposed to be these quiet little boxes that sit there, even though they got 5 million fans on them. And uh, you can actually run an internal combustion engine sewing machine quiet if you wanted to. But So it, it, it's, a, it's a big play on different things. What fuel cells are really good at is they're going to be very good at small things, um, such as there's something called a direct methanol fuel cell. You can look up DMFC on Wikipedia and read all about direct methanol fuel cells. It uses methanol on one side of the fuel cell and air on the other, and it produces a DC voltage. What's a DC voltage perfect for? It's perfect for running your laptop. It's perfect for running a flashlight. It's perfect for running the radio. It's perfect for recharging AA batteries. Um, it's perfect for a lot of different things. And all you literally have to do is pour methanol in on one side. Keep in mind, don't get methanol on your skin and don't drink it. It's toxic. Uh, but all you need is air on the other side, and it, it will be a quiet little box at that time because its waste heat can be released through itself. I mean, when you get a huge amount of waste heat, you need fans and radiators. you got a small amount of waste heat, something the size of a baseball. It can get rid of its little bit of waste heat just by it becoming warm and giving up its, its temperature to the surrounding environment. So, I mean, fuel cells have been long associated with hydrogen and only hydrogen, which is, is, is not true. Uh, they can run on a variety of fuel. <clears throat> to give you an idea, right now in uh, May of 2012, a 300-watt fuel cell. Okay, keep in mind, you buy a 300-watt inverter that plugs into your car battery stack. You can buy one from like 30 bucks at Walmart, right? Yeah, they're pretty cheap. I've got, uh, a, I think, like 750-watt one that I paid like 49 bucks for or something. Okay, okay but here's a price comparison. A 300-watt fuel cell, guess how much it costs right now? Uh, thousands of dollars. $2,700. Holy crap. Okay. Now, if you wanted to take a five-horsepower Honda an engine and, an, and put three alternators on it, not to make 300 watts, but ten times that amount, th yeah. th three kilowatts of electricity, it would cost you less than uh, $500, probably less than $300 to do this. And, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I, I I could more afford to to force a 14 year old to pedal a bicycle and generate power than freaking 2,700 dollars for 300 watts. Right now, an internal combustion. No, they say well, fuel cells more efficient. No, a, a, an internal combustion engine properly tuned to run on hydrogen can actually run at a higher brake thermal efficiency than a fuel cell. In fact, like I said, a typical proton exchange membrane or a PEM fuel cell right now is about 40, 45, 43, 44 percent efficient on a really good day. Guess what is made by the tens of thousands every day that is, has a higher thermal efficiency than that fuel cell does? Direct Regular engines? No, nope, direct injection diesel engines. Oh, okay, sure. Absolutely. V VW, Mercedes-Benz, you know, some of the highest. Like my TDI, that's, that's far more efficient. Oh, that's right. You got a TDI. That's right. Yeah. 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 That thing, that is one of the most efficient engines ever made on the face of the planet is that Volkswagen TDI. And it's, a, it's an amazingly small engine for what it does, too. The torque's incredible. It's about as big as two of my tea kettles put together. And uh, I've got a hundred and some odd thousand miles on it. It's just getting started. It's just getting broken in. I got 200. Yeah. I drive a diesel truck, a 2001 Dodge Ram. 
and it's got 279,000 miles on it, and the engine's never been touched. I just put Mobile One in it all the time and change it every 10,000 miles, and it keeps on running and running and running. I change the fuel filter as often as I can, because remember, diesels, the thing that's more complex than the engine itself is the fuel injector. So you want to treat your fuel injector really good, and you make sure you change your fuel filters, because the fuel injector is really the heart of a diesel engine. And I cover that in another show. We talk about how diesel... Go back and listen to all my shows. They're at solar1234.com. It'll link everything to the Jack site, show number 12345. You can look at them up to number 8 now. And you can hear us talk about diesels. But, uh, yeah, Jack, I mean, amazing. You know, you think, you know, let's join hands, think we are the world. Fuel cells are going to, going to change the world. And here, uh, diesel fuel in a VW engine has a higher efficiency than the fuel cells that people are making. So don't hold your breath on fuel cells. You'll see them coming out to power small electronics. And uh, be wary of the ones that they say they're going to power your house. You know, let someone <laughs> else be the sucker and buy the thing first and, See how it goes, and remember. Trust me, if they have, somebody ever builds one, you'll know about it, and it'll work, and then we can buy one. But until then, we'll we'll stick to what what we know works. Yeah, Bloom has tried to do it. He had a big sixty minutes interview in two thousand nine. Says, so "Oh, by twenty eleven, we're going to have these for homes." Hey, it's twenty twelve. Where are you? Where's mine? Where's mine? I ain't got one yet. No. So hey, we we've pretty much clobbered hydrogen and fuel cells today. Yep. Um, I just wanted to real quick give you an opportunity to let people know what is the status because one of the things we can make at home fairly easily is ethanol. We've talked about it before, so we don't need to go into the process or anything, but you were working on some things. There was an enzyme you were working on getting availability for. Is it available yet? Uh, what does it do? And if not yet, when? As of uh, early May 2012, uh, it is not available yet. It's still sitting on my lab bench. I've not had a chance to run it. For everyone who doesn't know what it does is uh, you, you can convert donuts and bread and stuff into sugar, and the sugar then gets fermented by the yeast and the alcohol. Uh, all alcohol is made from sugar. It's just a question of what you make the sugar from. In this case, it's going to be donuts, and you used to have to cook it up to 190, add an enzyme, cool it down to 140, add the enzyme number two, cool it down to 85, and then add the yeast and let it ferment. I have an enzyme that allows you to add the enzyme and the yeast, both at 85 degrees Fahrenheit, and it'll convert the bucket full of donuts and water into uh, sugar, which is instantaneously fermented. It's called simultaneous sacrification and fermentation, SSF. And it'll ferment it into a bucket full of alcohol ready to go into your still and be distilled. Now, I've not had a chance to finish this because I've been overwhelmed with sales of the alcohol distiller. Because I have an automated tabletop distiller. It looks like a coffee pot. You plug it into a wall and a timer. And you pour in your wash with alcohol in it. You set the timer and you come back to a jar full of alcohol that you then distill three more times and then you take the water out with zeolite, and you pour it into your gas tank. It, in a complete video for showing you how to do this for nothing, is at imakemygas.com. For people who can't remember, www.imakemygas.com, there'll be a link to it at www.solar1234.com. I don't think you'll forget solar1234.com, but I have previous shows, entire entirely on alcohol. I think it was show number five. That's at solder1234.com. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, it. It's about two weeks right now. If you come and order an alcohol distiller from me right now, 
the second week of May 2012. It's taken me about two weeks to get them out to you. Now, I got all the stills in stock, Jack, because what happened is my supplier ran out of hydrometers. Huh. Yeah. And so I had to get more hydrometers rushed in. Then the, then, then the fermentation buckets came in, and they were they were squished. And so uh. I had to say, it's like, hey, please send me more buckets. These ones are oblong, and they won't work. <laughs> I mean, you get pallets of stuff you know, coming oblong in. Oblong buckets. Yeah, they're oblong. So, I mean, it's not a, I've not had a problem getting the stills in. It's just been the little, you, you ordered a starter kit. And see, I sell everything to you that you want. I can sell you the book, Alcohol Can Be a Gas, okay? It's got everything you need to know to do it for yourself. It's $47. There's a DVD that comes along with it if you want. If you want the, uh, the distiller, I'll sell you the distiller. If you want everything in a kit with a starter kit with yeast, you know, instruction, the video on how to do the fermentation, the zeolite for removing in the water, I'm going to provide you the entire kit if you so desire. You can come buy the book and do it all yourself. You can come buy the kit and you know, and however you want. It's a la carte, and uh, that's why I started doing Jack. Was instead of just selling books and DVDs, I started providing. People said, "Steve, we want the solution. Okay, we just don't, we don't want to have to figure out." and how to build it ourselves, we want you to provide the solution. So I had to go out and find it. I found this moonshine still, and it make, it's made for making moonshine, literally, you know, drinking alcohol that's illegal in the United States, legal in New Zealand. Uh, people still do it. And, um, and it's like I look at this little thing. I go, wow, it's, it's small. It's good. It runs one gallon at a time. That's not good. But it doesn't use any cooling water. It uses a fan. That's good. And let's see, you know what? If I put a timer on this thing, I can fill it full. I can fill it up and walk away and come back. So I'd fill the thing up before I went to work and come back and I'd have half a gallon of alcohol. Fill it up. When I came back from work. Let it run for two hours. I have more alcohol. Fill it up before I went to night. Went to, went to bed. Set the timer and I have another half gallon of alcohol. I go. This is cool. The thing that you think was the worst thing in the world just became the best thing in the world because. Well, and I'd like to kind of kind of kind of speak up on that for you for here for me because I get a lot of people going. Well, it only makes this much, and is it really working? All I've got one you sent to me. It works great, and you can make got a couple gallons of fuel a week with it. And if you get your starts for free, and that's what I'm excited about this enzyme when you finally yeah. get it available. Um, my question is, what else can you stick in your house that makes two gallons of fuel a week for you? Oh. And the answer is well, not much, especially when it's like it's it's dump, stir, uh, and ferment, and then dump, push button, come back, dump, push button until you get the level you want. And then the other thing that I've loved about what you've done is the first time you came on after you found this thing, you had the still and the hydrometer, and all this stuff, and then you came back and you'd added the zeolite to get the last of the water out, and then you came back and found this enzyme. So you've continued to evolve this kit into what I consider a total solution, it's, which well, is what most companies never freaking do. What, they, 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 they give you a half solution, you know. Well, it's been because of your people. I mean, your people and my people, they come back to me and they go, Steve, what about this? And I go, it's like, well, you know, you're right. I should have provided that. And, you know, I, I listen to you guys. I'm not just sitting here talking this microphone just to hear it reverberate in my ears. I mean, my God, you guys, you're a treasure. You're so excited. You love this stuff. You're passionate about it. I call it the Church of Jack. And you come here to learn. And, and then you write me these emails and go, what about this? And I go, well, okay, well, I have to explain this and explain that. Well, hey, there was a good idea. You know, I could do this. And people write me in with suggestions and say, what about this? And, you know, that doesn't work. But it kicks me on to something else that does work. And it's all because of you guys, okay? This stuff has evolved because of you, all of you listening. So I have a great big heartfelt thanks. 
I come on to this show because you guys are, are so great. If I didn't get the emails, if I didn't get the panel questions, the 800 number stuff you call in, Jack, hey, Steve, I got a question on batteries. You know, if I didn't get that stuff, um, I wouldn't be doing this. And yeah. so you guys get as much out of us as you put into the show. So, yeah. I mean, right, Jack? And I want to say another thing for Steve, because I know he won't say it for himself. We were talking off air before we got started, and I sent him a panel question recently, and he put about a half a day of effort into coming up with a solid answer for one person asking one question. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm glad to have you as a member of this community, Steve. And, you know, I want to throw a plug in for you here at the end as well. Um, when When you're an MSB member, if you go into your benefits section – and you'll see USH2 in the list of supporting vendors. You'll see that Steve gives a 15% off on all purchases of books and DVDs to all MSB members. And, and, and that was something I only had to ask him to do one time on his first interview, and he said, of course. And, Steve? And and right now, for a limited time, the MSB discount applies to the alcohol distiller. So you can literally come to me and get the $400 package that includes the distiller, the yeast, the 8-gallon fermentation bucket, the hydrometer, the, the thermometer, the hydrometer flask, the zeolite, the alcohol can be gas book and DVD, plus my private videos that show you how to put this all together. And you can get 15% off, which means you're getting over 60 bucks off with your MSB discount Uh Right from the big package or the small package, you just want to buy the DVD for 25 bucks. you get 15% off of that. Which, I mean, of course, would pay for your MSB plus 10 bucks. And then yep. let me throw my own little plug in right now because I didn't say it in the, in the intro of the show. I'm in Montana right now. Even though Steve and I are here talking to you, we're talking to you from the past, time travel from <laughs> from, 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 from Arkansas and uh, in Illinois. And uh, anyway... Um, Right now, since I'm away, whenever I go away, I leave a sale. So right now, with the code Big Sky, you get 15 bucks off the MSB. So you you could quite literally profit uh, extensively by getting an MSB and then getting the discount just on Steve's kit. So oh wow, so it's only 35 bucks for 35 bucks for your first year with code Big Sky and. That's until I get back on the 13th. So that that is that is wide open to anybody. I basically I did it because I had to board two dogs and two cats while I was gone for 12 days. That's freaking expensive. That's almost as expensive as a hydrogen freaking fuel cell. <laughs> so I'm running a cell to cover the uh, the kennel fees on the dogs and the cats while I'm hanging out with Paul Wheat and Seth Holzer and a bunch of really cool people. You know, I bet you there's some listeners who would have come over and house sat your cats for nothing for you while you were gone. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> there is an offset component to what we do. But, Steve, again, thank you for being here today. Oh, well, I'll make sure okay. I have links to all your sites, all your stuff. And uh, the fact that you continue to innovate and give the community is really important to me, and I appreciate you for it. You guys are the best. I love it. I can't wait to come back for my uh, ninth show. And I'm doing at least two panel questions right now, which you'll hear in the future. And they're really awesome ones. And so look forward hearing from me on, on the panel and uh, hopefully a future show. Uh, Jack, you're wonderful. The audience is wonderful. Wonderful. Love you guys all. Thanks so much. All right, folks. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they... There's nothing I can do 
Revolution is you. 